Is that really in the Bible? You live in a world where everyone has an opinion about the Bible. Of what values are your beliefs if they are not clearly found in the pages of your Bible? The question we must ask is, are your opinions and beliefs really found in the Bible? Well, hello, I'm David Freeman Webb. Is that really in the Bible? In the last program, we talked about the commanded disconnect, the importance of having a day, the day, the seventh day of the week, where you disconnect from the world and the importance, the, the proper use of the Sabbath was to bring you to a point of connectivity with the Creator God and how important that fourth commandment is. Well, today I'm going to talk, be talking about keeping God's appointments. There are seven annual feast days throughout the year that reveal who and what is God, what is God doing through mankind, what's it all about. These holy days point are all about Jesus Christ. They look to what he has done in the past, what he is doing today, and what he will do in the future. Now think about this. We're talking about keeping God's appointments. If you had a doctor's appointment, would you keep it? Would you make note of it? Would you remember it? Well, of course you would. If you had an appointment with your dentist, would you keep it? Would you make note of it? Uh, if you had an appointment with your lawyer, would you keep it? Would you write it down somewhere? And you, would you say, okay, the day is coming up when I have to keep this appointment with my doctor, with my dentist, with my lawyer? Well, uh, of course you would. Well, there are seven appointments with God. Think about that. Seven appointments where you connect with God and understand what God is doing through mankind. Let's take a look at it. Leviticus 23 and verse 4, it says, These are the feasts of the Lord, even holy convocations which you shall proclaim in their seasons. Now question, whose feasts are they? Can't, can't hear you. Whose These are the feasts of the Jews. These are the Old Testament feasts. These feasts have been done away with. These feasts, no, these are the feasts of the Lord. Who owns these feast days? God owns them. Okay? And it was God that so graciously gave us the holy days. Seven appointments with God. Now, it is a fact of history that very early in church history, the Sabbath day was abandoned for Sunday worship. That's a fact of history, okay? And God's feast days were abandoned for Christmas and Easter, okay? This is just a fact of history. It's not a, a fact of theology. You're not going to find this in the Bible where these, these days were substituted for something else. No, this is a fact of history. The Sabbath was abandoned for Sunday worship, and the feast days were abandoned for the two popular holidays, uh, Christmas and Easter, and I might add to that Halloween, because Halloween is coming into the churches. It's already happening. Before long, it will be just like Christmas. It will be, everybody will be keeping Halloween in the church. You know, you, you go figure that one out. You figure that one out. Okay, now most Christians would tell you that all the feast days of God have been fulfilled, that they have no meaning for us today. But it's interesting that the one event that has been fulfilled, most Christians keep today. I'm talking about the Passover. 
You know, the Passover, when I see the blood, I will pass, I will pass over you. The Passover, everybody knows what the Passover is about. It's about, it's about the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. It's about forgiveness of sin. It is our Passover lamb whose blood was shed for you and me. Okay, now people refer to it as communion. People refer to it as the New Testament uh, Lord's Supper. People refer to it as the Lord's Supper. There's many different names it goes by, but this event has already taken place. It has been fulfilled, and yet it is the one nearly all Christians observe in some form or fashion, the Passover. Now, the first uh, two holy days, is the first and last day of unleavened bread. And this festival lasts seven days. And we're told to do something very, I think, strange to most people's ears. We're told to put the leavening out of our homes and to eat of that unleavened bread for seven days, to eat unleavened bread for seven days, which represents Christ. Now, putting Christ in and putting the leavening, which symbolizes sin, out of our lives. We do this for seven days. I do this for seven days. Let's notice 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Notice I'm quoting the New Testament here. I'm not quoting the Old Testament. Oh, that's been done away. That's been fulfilled. Well, let's take a look at this. 1 Corinthians 5 and verse 6. Your glorying is not good. Know you not that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Purge out there for the old leaven, symbolizing sin, that you may become a new lump as you are unleavened, for even Christ our Passover, notice the connection here, is sacrifice for us. You have the event of the Passover, and then right after the Passover, you go directly into the first day of unleavened bread. And scholars say that this letter was written during the days of unleavened bread. That's why Paul alludes to this again and again and again about the days of unleavened bread. Therefore, let's continue on in verse 8. Let us keep the feast. What feast? Well, the Feast of Unleavened Bread. Here is Paul saying, let us keep the feast. New Testament folks, wake up, New Testament, not with old leaven, neither with the leaven of malice or, and wickedness, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. Now again, the symbolism of this, the unleavened bread represents putting Christ in, putting the leavening out of your homes represents putting sin out. Now, I can just hear someone say, well, that's silly. I ain't, I never heard of such a thing. That's the silliest thing I ever heard of in my entire life. Really? Uh, let me tell you something that's really silly I saw not long ago. Well, it's been early spring, I guess, when I saw this. It was an elderly couple. He was holding the ladder, and this 80, had to be an 80-year-old woman, was on top of the ladder decorating an egg tree. Now, how stupid is that? First of all, rabbits don't lay eggs and they sure can't climb trees unless they're wearing sneakers. Just kidding. But, you know, what, what is this all about? The Easter, well, you know what it's about. It's about Easter. You know, all the symbols of fertility and life, and, and you know, one slip of the ladder, and both of these people would have been dead. Both of these, these elderly people would have been dead. They would have broken every bone in their body. Now, when I talk about Okay, the Feast of Unleavened Bread, question, has these days been fulfilled? Well, no, God, people, God is still calling people. They are putting Christ in, and they are putting sin out. This is still going on today. It's called conversion, you know. It's the conversion process of putting Christ in, putting sin out. Has this day been fulfilled? 
Well, no, it hasn't been fulfilled. It's still going on today. The third holy day is called Pentecost. Pentecost. Let's take a look at this one. Acts 2 and verse 1. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come, there were all with one accord in one place. And suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing, rushing mighty wind, and it, was, it filled all the house where they were uh, sitting. And there appeared unto them cloven tongues like a, a, a fire, and it set upon each of them. And they were all filled with, notice this, they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues, that's languages, as the Spirit gave them utterance. Now, you got to ask the question, what is the meaning behind the law, meaning behind the gift, excuse me. What's the meaning behind the gift here? Here was a fabulous gift given by God to mankind. They begin to speak in different languages. What's the meaning behind the gift? Well, these men and women have been told to go ye therefore into all the world, make disciples, teach them all things that I have commanded you. So they're sitting around thinking, okay, go into all the world. All I got is a camel to ride on, but that's good enough. But how are we going to communicate? How are we going to communicate to all the different dialects that are out there, all the different languages that are out there? How are we going to communicate? And this, is, this, this is the meaning behind the gift, okay? Suddenly, they were given the ability, the gift of languages. This is not some idiotic gibberish that no one can understand. This is not some secret prayer language. This is not some spiritual ego trip that these people were on. This is not some kind of one-upsmanship. Well, I can, do, I can speak in a gibberish that no one can understand. Boy, I'm special. No one understands it. I'm really, but you can't. This is not some kind of one-upsmanship. It is the gift of languages. Language, the gift of language. I mean, the ability to communicate in different languages, which is the meaning behind the gift. Now, the Spirit of God is all about receiving. That's what Pentecost is all about. It's about receiving the Spirit of God. It's about transforming a rebellious heart into a heart that can and will obey the law of God. If you want to know what it's really all about, Pentecost, receiving the Spirit of God, here it is, Hebrews 8 and verse 10. I will put my laws into their mind and write them in their hearts. I will be to them a God, and they shall be to me a people. Don't ever let anyone convince you otherwise that the Spirit of God is some kind of emotional ego trip of of something that you just feel. No, it has a purpose. The purpose of you receiving the Holy Spirit of God is God's going to write His laws upon His heart, upon your heart and mine, and you're going to do them. Why? Because that's what makes a functional society. That's what makes life work, don't you know? You want to make your life work? You need the Spirit of God that can transform your heart into, it can bring you to a point of surrender to God. That's what the, the Holy Spirit is all about. Okay, Pentecost also is about the fact that God is now calling a first fruit. Most people, and I know this, this people don't like this, but, but because they like to think, you know, God is working mightily here today. He just saved 100 people. Now, most people's chance for salvation will be in the second resurrection. Pentecost represents that God right now is calling a first fruit. 
there will come a much greater harvest later. But right, right now, God is calling a first fruit. Okay, so has this day been fulfilled? Well, nonsense. Is God still calling people? Is God still calling them out? Are people still receiving the Spirit of God? Has the day of Pentecost been fulfilled? Has it been done away with? Is it nailed to the cross? No, you'd have to be an idiot to believe that. Okay, the fourth holy day is the Feast of Trumpets. What's that about? Well, think about the word trumpet, the Feast of Trumpets. The trumpet shall sound. Notice 1 Thessalonians 4 and verse 16. For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel and the trump, there it is, the trump of God, and the dead in Christ shall rise first. You know, that needs, that, that don't even need any explaining right there. Okay, what this day is all about, you know, it's about the visible return of Jesus Christ to this earth. Notice Revelation 11 and verse 15. And the seventh angel sounded, and there was great voices in heaven saying, the kingdoms of this world are become the kingdoms of our Lord and of his Christ, and he shall reign forever and ever. Oh man, am I looking forward to that day when the trump sounds, when the transference of power goes from man's government to God's government, where man keep, quits trying to figure out how to make this life work. Man continues to govern man by, by his laws and that are in rebellion toward God's law. And so this is when the transference of power is given over and it becomes, the, no longer is it man's government. No longer is it man trying to figure out, well, if we just get the right man in the White House, if we just get the right form of government there, we can solve all of our problems. No longer is it this kind of nonsense going on. At this point, it is the power source belongs to God. God is going to rule on earth with the kingdom of God on this earth. Now, has this day been fulfilled? Well, has Christ returned yet? No, 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 it hasn't. This day has not been fulfilled. Now again, most Christians will tell you these holy days of God referred to as the feast of the Lord's. They're God's feast days. They're not the Jews, I mean, they're not, you know, God, the Jews didn't come up with this stuff. They're God's feast days. Now, maybe some Jews keep them. Yes, I agree with that. But they're God's feast days. That's who owns them. Now, these days tell us what Christ has done in the past. For example, the Passover, the shed blood of Christ. They tell us what Christ is doing today with, you know, putting Christ in, the days of unleavened bread, putting Christ in, putting sin out, Pentecost, receiving the Spirit of God, what God is doing today and what he will do in the future, such as return to this earth to rule it with a rod of iron. <clears throat> now, how could you conclude that these days are not important? How could you say, well, these days don't have any meaning for it? Hey, listen, preacher man, how could you say, how could you teach your congregation that these days have no meaning? They've been fulfilled. They were for somebody else. How can you conclude that? How could you conclude, listen to me, how could you conclude that sitting around a Christmas tree and swapping gifts is what's really important to God? And it's all about Jesus. How, 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 how does your brain work? Or is it working? Maybe that's a better question. Is it even working? 
you know. I mean, listen, I've got the Word of God to back me up. All you've got is what you feel. I just feel it's good. I just feel that this, I think it's just, it's all about, it's all about Jesus. Christmas, that is. Why, is there anybody actually believes that today, that it's all about Jesus? And, and what, how would you prove that to me, that it's all about Jesus? By how much money you spend? Uh, by, how, by how drunk you get? Uh, by how, how many days you shop. Is that how you would prove to me that that's all about Jesus? You're good at shopping, so that means it's all about Jesus, right? How would you prove that to me? You know, you know God's not going to ask you when he returns, you know, what did you feel in your heart toward me? Let's notice what Jesus is going to actually say when he returns. Matthew 7 and verse 21. Not everyone that says to me, Lord, Lord, shall enter the kingdom of heaven, but he that doeth the will of my Father which is in heaven. It's about doing. It's not about what you feel. Well, I just feel this is right. Oh, big deal. It's what you do that counts. It's what you do. Now, the fifth day, fifth holy day, is called the Day of Atonement. It's about when the world will be at one with God. Now, isn't that a beautiful picture when you think about it? You know, when you think about it, the world at one with God. Christ returns, we've just discovered that with trumpets, okay? And the first thing he does is to remove the greatest obstacle to world peace. What is the greatest obstacle to world peace? What, what motivates war? What, you know, I was looking at Facebook, and there was this Syrian soldier, and I don't even know why I watched this. There's a video clip of this boy, this Syrian soldier who had his jaw blown off. And he's in the hospital, and the doctors are pointing at him, talking to him. He's still alive. But it's all just, it was the goriest thing I'd ever seen in my life. It made me sick to my stomach. But this is the instruments of war, you know, blowing people's legs off and face off and jaw, blow their, you know, this guy had his complete jaw just blown off. And I'm thinking, God, thy kingdom come and put an end to this madness. You know, if you have a loved one over in wherever, a soldier, you know what I'm talking about. Your sleepless nights, what you think about, what runs through your head. Well, when Christ returns, the greatest obstacle, this war machine, is going to be put aside. I'm talking about Satan, the devil, by the way. Let's notice Revelation 20 and verse 1. And I saw an angel come down from heaven, having the key of the bottomless pit and a great chain in his hand. And he laid hold on that dragon, that old serpent, which is the devil, and Satan, and bound him a thousand years. You know, it makes perfect sense to me that when Christ returns, the first thing he's going to do is remove this great obstacle to world peace for a thousand years. During that millennial reign of Jesus Christ, Satan will not be around. And can you imagine what a different world it would be during that time? But you know, you didn't know this. You didn't know. You didn't know that there are holy days, appointments with God that reveal what God has done in the past, what he's doing today, and what he's doing in the future. You're not telling, preacher man, your congregation about the importance of these days. Now, here's the, here's the, the downside to all of this. If you go out and ask, I'm talking to you who are hearing my voice here, if you go out and ask, your preacher about these days, guess what he's going to tell you? He's going to say, that's for the Jews, that's been fulfilled, that's been done away with. These days have no meaning. That's what he's going to tell you. He's been spoon-fed by 
in, in cemetery, excuse me, seminary school. He's just been spoon-fed what they taught him in seminary school. Let's take a look at Acts 27 and verse 9. Now, when much time was spent and when selling was now dangerous because the fast, notice that, the fast was now already passed, Paul admonished them. Now that little word fast is a reference to, it means the Day of Atonement. The Day of Atonement is a fast day where you go without food or drink for 24 hours, for a 24 hour period, but it's referred to as the fast day. Look it up for yourself. When the fast was now passed, it means the Day of Atonement. Why is Paul referencing the Day of Atonement? because he was keeping the Day of Atonement. The New Testament church was keeping the Day of Atonement. They were keeping all of God's holy days. Now, has this day been fulfilled? Well, has Satan been bound yet? Well, no, he hasn't. No, it hasn't been fulfilled. The sixth holy day is the Feast of Tabernacles, when the whole world will rejoice before God. It's a seven-day event today. It's, it's great rejoicing because of what it represents. It represents the millennial reign of Jesus Christ, a time when Satan will be bound, when everything will be plenteous, where peace, prosperity, joy, happiness will rule the world for a thousand years. It's a great event, the Feast of Tabernacles. Notice Zechariah 14 and verse 16. And it shall come to pass that everyone that is left of all the nations which came against Jerusalem shall go up from year to year to worship the King, the Lord of hosts, and to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. This scripture, if you'll read before it, is millennial setting. In other words, Christ has returned. The millennium is now set up on earth, and this is what all nations are going to do. Now, how keep, that is, keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Now, how could we have an event that is going to occur in the future? All nations are going to be keeping the Feast of Tabernacles and hear absolutely nothing about it in church today. How is that? That we have an event that's, that all nations, all people are going to be keeping the Feast in the millennium when Christ returns. And you don't hear anything about it at your local church today. Your preacher's not going to go there. He can't go there because he doesn't keep it. And he's not going to tell you to keep it because he doesn't keep it. Again, you know, this is, this is incredible. Notice, notice verse 17 of Zechariah chapter 14, verse 17. And it shall be that whosoever will not come up of all the families of the earth and to Jerusalem to worship the king, the Lord of hosts, even upon them shall be no rain. So God's going to punish some people for not keeping the, the, the rebellion will still be there, by the way. Well, I'm not going to do that. that I, no, God, I ain't, I'm not going to keep your feast. The rebellious heart will still be there, but notice what God does. And of the families of Egypt that go not, not up and come not, they're not going to have any rain. This shall be the plague wherewith the Lord will smite the heathen that come not up to keep the feast of tab tabernacles. Verse 19, this shall be the punishment of Egypt and the punishment of all nations that come not up to keep the Feast of Tabernacles. Okay, right now God is just asking for your knees to bend. Okay, keep my feast. When this time comes, God's going to break some legs. And the feast, you know, the feast is just a foretaste of what is coming. The kingdom, the government of God. And you might as well get used to keeping it today because you are going to be keeping it in the future. The last holy day is called the last great day. 
Let's take a look at that in John 7 and verse 37. In the last day, that great day of the feast, notice this, that great day, now this is Jesus talking about the feast. What feast? Well, the feast of, of tabernacles, and on the last, the eighth day is called the last great day. All right, let's notice this. In the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried, saying, If any man thirsts, let him come unto me and drink. Now, what is the meaning behind the last great day? Well, let's check it out in Revelation 20 and verse 5. But the rest of the dead lived not again until the thousand years were finished. This is the first resurrection. You know, I mentioned that God is now calling a first fruit. He's not calling everybody right now. Most people will be given their chance for salvation in the second resurrection. And that's what this, this is all about. The rest of the dead. I mean, you think about all the people, all the foreigners and many people in uh, uh, other nations like Africa and who really never had a chance for salvation. Never had a chance. You know, the missionary had a flat tire on the way to get the little African girl saved and he didn't get there in time and so she died of AIDS. Okay, she's going to be given her chance for salvation in the second resurrection. Now, and that's what the meaning of the last great day is. That God is going to see to it that everybody gets a chance for salvation according to his timing. Now, Jesus Christ kept the holy days. The New Testament church kept the holy days. They're all about Jesus and his work. Uh, they're referred to as the feast of the Lord. Now, there are groups of people all across the world that observes and keeps these days. So don't use the excuse, well, I can't find anybody keeping these days. No, there are, there are people that, that keep these days all across the world, the holy days of God. And you thought that all Christians just kept Christmas and Easter and Halloween. No, no, no. These days do not have any biblical authority from the Bible. They're pretty much man-made traditions. As I said, very early in church history, the Sabbath was abandoned for Sunday worship and the holy days were abandoned for Christmas and Easter, the two major holidays that are in our society today. That is a fact of history. You will be keeping these days in the first year when God reigns on this earth in the kingdom of God. Now I want to offer you a study here, a complete study on the holy days, the Passover, unleavened bread, Pentecost, uh, Feast of Trumpets, Day of Atonement, Feast of Tabernacles, and the last great day. You know, you can learn more about what God is doing in this study. And it's a pretty comprehensive study, by the way. But you can learn more about what God is doing today than, you, than 40 years that you've been in your local church. I'm telling you the truth. Order that if you're a serious Bible, you know, serious about the Word of God. And I'll send that to you free of charge. You know... When you ask the question, when I ask the question, what does Christmas teach us? Well, it teaches that Jesus was born, and that's a good thing. But beyond that, what does it teach your kids? Well, nothing. Gift swapping, it doesn't teach your kids anything beyond that. Uh, Easter teaches us that Christ was resurrected, and that's a good thing. But beyond that, what does it teach? These days are a comprehensive study into God's appointments, His feast days, His holy days. And, you know, if you want to understand God without church and religion, this is a good start, a good place to begin. Order it. I'll send it to you free of charge. I'm David Freeman. And remember, is that really in the Bible? 
What kind of holidays will be kept when Jesus Christ returns to set up his kingdom on this earth? Will the traditional holidays of our society be kept, or will God institute his holy days found in the pages of your Bible? Find the answer to this question by ordering your free magazine entitled, Seven Holy Days. The greatest story ever told is found hidden within God's holy days, like a mystery that goes deeper and deeper. So each holy day reveals a deeper understanding about the mysteries of God and what God is doing through mankind. Order by writing to, Is That Really in the Bible? 27 Brookledge Lane, Rocky Mount, Virginia, 24151. Or visit us on the web at isthatreallyinthebible.net. Is that really in the Bible?